This R is an illicit radio program. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome. Got a selection of good things on sale, stranger. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Richard and you are listening to The Bazaar, the conversation podcast which will bring us the very best up-and-coming horror talents from the pages to the screen. Today is going to be the last episode before Christmas, but not before the new year. I got to speak with Occult Conspiracy author Martin Adel Smith. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show and I'll see you at the end for some special announcements hello and welcome to another episode of the show i have with me tonight the author of the best-selling occult conspiracy series the spoils of danu mr martin adel smith martin welcome to the show how are you good evening i'm very well how are you i'm good now thank you uh and very glad to have you on the show so for those of you who might know you uh do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your works Sure. So uh, I am a full-time horror writer. Um, my series is The Spirals of Danu. It's excellent reading. You should all go and buy it now. Um, it's a series of uh, horror stories. It's not torture porn. It's not splatter gore. It really sort of focuses on the uh, things that go bump in the night. And it really starts out with a central question and goes from there. And the question is this. If there is a God, why is there suffering? And over the series of books, we attempt to uh, explain that. But the answer comes down to this. Because she wants you to suffer. Uh, she wants you to suffer. You put, she you wants put you to gender suffer. on the, uh, the one. I see. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, 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 it uh, spices things up. I, I think, you know, one of the, uh, one of the movies that uh, I saw that early on that really had an influence of me was uh, Dogma with uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in it. And uh, they play two renegade angels. And uh, right at the end, God comes down. And it's Alanis Morissette. Right. And it was just, it, I mean, it's, 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 it's a sort of borderline sort of comedy uh, dogma, but it was very well done. And that really struck me, that sort of image of Alanis Morissette as God in a major Hollywood movie. And it was like, right, that, that kind of gets me thinking um you know i'm of a certain age now um fortunate to have been married many years to a very lovely lady but like probably every male in western europe i had a, a career before that and um yes yeah, some of the ladies that i met along the way um Cause I hope they're not listening. <laughs> yes yeah they, they 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 may now go and pick up those books and go oh my god that so-and-so is writing about me now um Yes, um, some of you have got it coming, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, it, it really looks at sort of the nature and causes of suffering, and obviously, sort of does the whole play of you know lifting the veil before eyes to really see sort of the horror of the universe before us. Oh, very good. So, uh, you know, when, how long did it take until you kind of put pen to paper? How long were you formulating these ideas? Wow, um, the page. Okay, so. Um, there's, there's lots of different strands to this, but, but the, the main meat probably began around sort of 99, 2000. Um, and I read a book called Talisman by Graham Hancock. For those who don't know Graham Hancock, he's a pseudo-archaeologist in a von Daniken kind of vein. 
perhaps a little bit more scientific, but he's really that sort of second wave, the modern wave of looking at sort of history and artifacts. And he wrote a book about the uh, architecture of uh, Paris. And he says in this book that the architecture of Paris is actually based around that, and they are descended from the Cathars. Now, I've always had an interest in theology without actually being practicing myself, but I'm interested in these ideas. And I'd never heard of the Cathars. And I went and did some research and a fascinating, fascinating history. They sort of chart back to round about sort of maybe 100 AD in northern Egypt, um, where they were exterminated. Um, they pop up again, 8th or 9th century in Armenia. Again, they get exterminated. And finally, they pop up in a region of France called Occitania, around about the 13th century. And this time, there's about half a million of them. And on this occasion, the Pope authorises their genocide. If you're not familiar with this history, go out, just put into Wikipedia, Cathars, Gnostics, Bogomils, and you'll find this history of people who were very brutally put down by the church at the time. And it's interesting what causes the consternation within the uh, church movement against what is it, you know, a very small sect. And the Cathars really say, love the New Testament. It's all about love, forgiveness, embracing your neighbor. We're happy with that. They have very serious problems with the Old Testament, and that causes the friction with the established church. And what the Old Testament that the uh, Cathars Old Testament says it takes the words God and the devil and it inverts them. So the devil creates the material realm. He imprisons the spirits from uh, heaven in these clay people who become humans. When one of them rebels and eats from the tree of knowledge and discovers the nature of her true self, they get kicked out of Eden. And from the Cathar perspective, this makes much more sense than having an all-loving father who then just mercilessly tortures everyone for a couple of books. And that was really what Graham Hancock's book was all about. And this idea grabbed me of sort of not having a benevolent creator that actually the creator doesn't like us at all and sends all these things our way that causes us grief and suffering and what have you. And this idea really took with me um, around the same time I'd seen Christopher Walken in the prophecy films. If people haven't seen that, go and see uh, the, the, those first three films because they're very, very strong films talking about sort of theology and the wars in heaven that went on. Um, and even if you don't believe in that, they're still very good stories. And that was really where I was coming from on it. And I like this idea of sort of, you know, renegade angels, uh, a God who isn't uh, benevolent, but the story went through many iterations. Um, so I was began to sort of draft out the idea in 2001. Um, I'm guessing it went through maybe eight or nine different versions, completely different versions of, you know, the world's being scrapped and starting again with the world building. And it was really sort of in 2011, there was a series of events that took place in my life that sort of I'd always worked in finance, asset management, um, and I was being made redundant for the second time in three years because global financial crisis. At the same time, my first daughter was being born and I was like, you know what, I don't think I'm enjoying this industry anymore. And I've been doing it for 20 years. And so with the consent of my wife, we said, all right, I'm going to take a year off um, and I'm going to write this book. And I sat down and ended up writing two books 
in in, in a year. So the first one was a gathering of twine, and the second one was the beggar of beliefs. And that was the start of the series as is today, which is now sort of three lo- uh, three novels long, and I think maybe five or six short stories. And there's another twenty short stories and novels going to be out in two years' time. Plus, we're now starting to do some music. There's a board game coming up, and it's really sort of grown arms and legs the public has has responded to it because it taps into something and it depends on who you are and what your own personal philosophies are if you like you know things like lovecraft but with a comma in it once in a while so you can actually read the thing this will be for you if you like things like the x-files but instead of aliens it's ghosts the twilight zone and it really does the whole sort of world building around that but it talks on a personal level So one of the things that I found when you live in a city, it's very easy to be anonymous. You can just coast by. When I lived in London, I've been very fortunate to live in metropolises all over. I lived in a tower block of like, you know, four or five hundred people. Couldn't tell you who a single one of my neighbours was. It's now having moved out that I know who my neighbours are. But when you live in that metropolis and it's easy to meet people in these environments and they say, you know, I went to college, I went to university and you start to say, well, okay, that's great. And you get to know this person and maybe you have a relationship with them. And that really sort of comes into our people who they say they are. And that touched on a personal experience of mine that I was, uh, I met a young lady and she said that she'd gone to university. Okay. And we started to have a relationship and um, I forget quite how it happened, but I discovered that she hadn't been to this university at all she didn't even have a degree but she'd gone to great lengths to lie and pretend to be someone else and obviously at that point the relationship stopped but it was a very strange experience a very strange experience to have someone and i just taken it at face value that you know she had been to university because she said she had so you know i trusted her but we meet those people in our lives all the time if you've not had your partner from childhood did they go to the university that they, they said that they went to? Do they go to the job that they say they go to? Are they really friends with these people? It's very easy to create fake accounts on social media now. And you do get these people who catfish. And that idea has come into my books. And that really touches uh, a nerve with some people about are people really who they say they are? I know. And that sort of ties into the recent show. I don't know. Are you watching it? Black Mirror it would tie in. To a lot of yeah that kind of social media and the rise of the machines to an extent a- absolutely i mean i've i the first time round black black mirror passed me by and uh we have a facebook page for the spars daniel on facebook and it's very active with people sort of recommending books and other culture to consume and people were saying you've got to watch black mirror and i was like all right okay you know we'll go and watch black mirror and uh, I've just finished the uh, second series, including the Christmas special, and I'm very impressed by it. Very impressed by it. Uh, there was a story, if you've not seen it, uh, called Be Right Back, um, about a couple, the chap passes away in a car accident, and he gets brought back as an android, but he's downloaded from the internet as a average of all his facebook posts and his twitter posts and what have you and it's surprising how much people put out there um it's very easy to be talking to someone and you can go and look back at their various feeds and posts and go oh yeah that happened to you oh yeah yeah, you went on holiday there yeah me too and you can start to create 
that rapport and that's what that episode was about and that really struck me i thought it was very cleverly done and the entire series is uh uh very well done i'm just about to start the third season i've got that one lined up to go very very strong storytelling you're going to really enjoy season three especially episode one when you're going back to facebook but i'll leave that for a surprise for yourself and maybe, oh, okay maybe the listeners I'll, 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 <laughs> who haven't I'll, watched I'll, it yet I'll, I'll 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 come back on another episode and we can talk about episode one of, uh, of season three. Probably talk about the whole thing. So just kind of moving on from there. So you do have it is like a continual series. It's been world building. So you have absolutely number yeah. one, one point five, two, three, yep, and short stories in the universe of one and the universe of two. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So um, the, the 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 first one is is uh, a gathering of twine. One point five, I think, is uh, the call of the Black River. Um, number two is then the Beggar of Beliefs. Three is the Shackles of a Name, um, and we're doing a run of short stories uh, at the moment. So the first one was the Last Testament of Thomas Griffith, um, which was based on the Smalls Lighthouse disaster, which again sort of. All of my stories are based around a core of historical truth. So the, uh, for those who don't know the Smalls Lighthouse disaster, it was early part of the 19th century, I think maybe 1804. And we used to have remote lighthouses. And so it's like almost built out in the sea on a shelf. And these guys would go out there for two or three months at a time and manage the lighthouse. And then a relief crew would come out and they'd swap over. But the policy at the time was that two lighthouse keepers would go. That was it. And you'd be doing 12-hour shifts. The guys who went out there, one was Thomas Griffith, one was Thomas Howell. These guys had history. And Thomas Howell, at one point, had designs on Thomas Griffith's wife. Allegedly, that was all put to bed. However... Nice turn of phrase. During, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, du- during the course of their shift or at the small lighthouse a storm blew up and it was so severe that the relief crew couldn't get out and they ended up spending an additional four weeks out there rations weren't the issue but the relationship between the men became quite tense and really what it was about was that thomas griffiths was a devout christian and thomas howell had come away from that and you know he he perhaps started to dabble in some dark stuff anyway an argument blew up and thomas howe swore blind that he didn't lay a finger on on uh, thomas howe thomas griffith sorry swears he didn't lay a finger on thomas howe thomas howe got up in a fit of anger and had some kind of stroke or heart attack or seizure but he collapsed his head struck a lamp and that was it he was dead thomas griffith went into a panic and he said, well, you know, people know that Howell had designs on my wife. They're going to think that we've had a fight and that I've killed him. And now I'm going to go to prison for a very long time. The standing operating procedure at the time was if someone dies, you throw them over into the sea because you don't want a body decomposing next to you. And these, these, these were small lighthouses. These were you know, tiny, very claustrophobic environments. Thomas Griffith didn't throw Howard's body over. Instead, he constructed a makeshift coffin and strapped it to the outside of the lighthouse. Remember, there's a storm going on, worst storm in 50 years. 
over the course of three nights, the coffin gets smashed, but the rigging that Griffith has used keeps Hal tied onto the uh, lighthouse. And there's a series of diary entries, which my book is then based on. And according to Griffith, Hal reanimated somehow. So whatever dark religion he had fallen to had given him the power to uh, reanimate. And what sent Howl over the edge was three nights of, so what sent Griffith over the edge was Howl's knuckles rapping at the window for three nights saying, if you let me in, if you accept me back into the land of the living, I will give you all this power. And allegedly he started to show Griffith these things or, you know, how he could conquer worlds and sit as a king and have anything from any woman that he ever wanted. And when the relief crew arrived, the guy was a gibbering wreck. He never recovered his sanity after that. And for me, that's a story that is absolutely fantastic. And I've taken that and worked it and brought that into my universe. But our history is just littered with these sorts of very strange things. You know, did did Griffith kill Howell? Was Howell into something dark? Or was it just the weight of guilt that maybe Griffith had killed Hal and that sent him over the edge? And I really like playing with these ideas of grief, guilt, identity, and memory. That does sound very interesting. I'll, I'll have to pick it up and give it a read. You had, you had the <laughs> Everyone should go and buy it. It's, it's only 99 pence. It's a short on Amazon and iBooks and everything, and it's a very good read. Everyone should buy it now. And do Please. you think... <laughs> Indeed. Do you think you're going to stick with the Spirals of Danu? Is it going to be just something you're going to write for eternity and keep building and building like your great works? Or do you think you'll move on to different projects? At the moment, all of my efforts are in Spirals of Danu, mainly because when I set out, every, everyone writes in a different way. My way that I wrote is that I don't start writing a book. I start writing the rules of that universe first of all and what must occur and what cannot occur what have you but when i set out writing the series i didn't limit my vision to our world um i consider the civilizations that have come before us and there's very strong archaeological evidence that at least one great civilization has existed before us but i also started to look off world not necessarily in a science fiction kind of way because my works tend more towards sort of the thriller fantasy and and more at the low fantasy end but i looked you know at things like mars you know mars theoretically could have held life but has a i think several hundred mile wide meteor scar on it where some sort of perhaps comet fragment struck it and ripped away the atmosphere when it did obviously we're starting to see other worlds and planets out there and i like the idea that there's a single creator behind all of this but yet she hates her own creation and that she's using her creation for a very specific purpose and we are just parasites along the way um to be culled once in a while and so as far as i can see certainly for the next few years at least everything i'm going to be doing is within the spars of danu there is always sort of stories that come my way uh little bits of research i'm like mm, that's really good doesn't fit in my world and 
thanks to the power of the modern age, I have a folder on my computer which just has, you know, hundreds of articles and news stories from newspapers, science magazines that I just go, right, okay, I'm going to put that there. And if I ever leave the spirals of Danu, and I think the demon goddess will be very upset with me if I do, but if I ever leave it, then I've got something else that I can pick up and say, okay, I can now do something completely different. And it would be something completely different because I'm doing this kind of fantasy horror occult conspiracy at the moment and i wouldn't want to try and rehash that under a pen name i, I think that would be conning the reader and readers are very intelligent i'd probably do something completely different maybe sort of you know like quantum science fiction maybe in the peter hamilton vein but those are the areas where sort of i always get the biggest kick and you know you are in the horror fantasy occult conspiracy Realm, where would you say your earliest sort of influence came from? Because you don't sort of happen upon these conspiracies. Someone has to invite you into the world. Who was your mentor, if there was one? Oh, for for, for better or for worse, it was my father. So uh, my father was the first of the baby boom generation post-World War II. And I suspect that he followed his father, although I, I never knew his father, the first book that I can remember picking up from my dad's bedside table was Lurker at the Threshold by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I was probably eight at the time. Lurker at the Threshold was published posthumously. I think Lovecraft died around 37. I think that Lurker was published mid 40, something like that. Um, it was incredibly dense. I didn't understand a single word of what I read. But the artwork that went along with this book cover was just fantastic. It had this sort of light shining through a bedroom door and a guy sort of sitting on his haunches, holding his hand, holding his head, laughing and obviously crazy. And that really struck me. And I just sort of latched onto that. And later on, my dad would get into the likes of Stephen King. I remember reading Christine after him. He was very much into some of the British writers as well. Um, he was into Graham Masterton, who wrote an amazing uh, book, which I still hold up today, called Mirror. Um, it was a height of 80s horror and just a fantastic read. There was likes of James Herbert as well, uh, The Magic Cottage. And he got a little bit into the American scene with uh, uh, Dean Koontz as well, although I never quite, quite got into Koontz in the way that my dad did. And that really took me into my early teens, by which point the likes of Clive Barker were starting to take off in the UK. I think it was the early 90s that Anne Rice uh, achieved a much wider recognition when the movie of Interview with the Vampire came out and at the time i was just soaking all of this up as a sort of teenager and then it was i was when i was 16 so it was 1994 um that we saw in the uk the theatrical release of james O'Barr's the crow with brandon lee in it and as a piece of cinematography this absolutely blew my mind um it was so stark and whilst it wasn't quite a horror story it's more a revenge story it did have that supernatural bent on it and that just really captivated me i was like you know i want to be doing this how do i get into this and the next few years were just spent sort of knocking on doors doing freebies with like for local newspapers reviewing books anything that i could just find about the the genre and put out there that is a fascinating backstory. Uh, <laughs> but just getting back to Stephen King, you kind of mentioned to me 
off air you ended up loving him to a point and then what happened you had yeah a rage and true a certain book yeah oh yeah okay so uh in advance of people who love everything that stephen king does i'm sorry for those who will like some things and not like other things I felt that Stephen King started to come away from what we regard as traditional horror, probably mid-90s, early 2000s, something like that. And my interests were going in a different direction, so I didn't necessarily uh, keep up with his output. And then it was, maybe it was around 2010, something like that, that he published uh, 11-22-63, which was the time travel story uh, where the chap goes back to try to prevent the Kennedy assassination. Got to be honest with you, I absolutely hated this book. Absolutely hated it. Um, I thought it was a great idea, a great setup. Stephen King's writing style was there. I think the problem that it had was that for 800 pages, it had various characters going, don't do this. Don't go back in time because it'll all go wrong and it will make things even worse. And the hero, inverted commas, just carries blindly on doing his thing. And lo and behold, it gets to the end and it all goes wrong and he's made things worse than they were. And then he's got to try and reset it. And it was just, you're not a hero. You're a bloody idiot. Because you've got all these interdimensional creatures telling you what's going to happen, and yet you still press on. I was like, I've just wasted however many hours reading an 800-page book here. There was no payoff. There was no uh, sense of gratification. And for those people who love everything that Stephen King does, I am sorry, but that was the book that I was like, no, no, that's it. Well, I'm done. But that but that said, you know, to the the counterbalance to that review, I think Stephen King's short stories have always been and continue to be market leading. And one of my favorite short stories ever is the title short story of Everything is Eventual, which is absolutely beautiful albeit horrific at the same time and if you want to just go and see you know an absolute master at the top of his craft read everything is eventual the title story um of, of that anthology by stephen king and you did say you were a fan of horror anthologies as a whole would kind of short stories be more your jam and then 800 page kind of damp squibs it is at the moment, but that's mainly because I have a five-year-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter. And so it's, it's, it's hard to get a few hours to sit down and just do a book. So uh, it, it, it tends to be short stories. At the moment, I'm reading a very, very good apocalypse anthology, uh, which has been edited by Mike Ashley. Um, it's a little bit more science fiction-y than straight horror, but for people who don't mind a little bit of sort of genre blurring here and there it's uh it's it's a very good read and there's some very very strong stories in that i must pick it up and maybe have a read i honestly personally haven't read much horror novella and novels myself i'm more of a, a screen kind of guy so sure. you know is there any sort of movies that would have influenced you or have you stuck mainly pulling from no pages? no I I, 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 I am very strongly influenced by movies. I'm very strongly influenced by music as well. Um, in terms of movies, uh, where do we start? So the first 
horror horror movie that I saw, what I consider to be a horror movie, um, was I think it was a 1968 movie, um, and it was called Play Misty for me. This was Clint Eastwood's first movie after the Spaghetti Westerns, and I think it was also his uh, directing debut as well. And... <laughs> If you look back at it and you want to summarize it, it's a stalker slasher movie in the realm of fatal attraction that Clint Eastwood's character has a one night stand and he thinks it's one night stand. And the young lady thinks it's something a little bit more than that. And she gets a bit miffed that she's uh, put out and kept away. Um I think I was about 10 years old when I saw this movie and um, my mum was away for a night and my dad was like, oh yeah, this movie's great. Let's watch this movie. Classic dad. <laughs> ten, exactly, yeah. Uh, 10 years old and I'm just starting to work out what girls are really about um, from, from the perspective from the perspective of, sort of you know, teenage boys. And this movie absolutely terrified me to the point that for the next two weeks, I, I used to take my mattress off my bed and go and sleep in my parents' bedroom. My mum was not happy because it, yeah, there's, there's an iconic scene right at the end um, of this young lady going off the Clint Eastwood in the middle of a thunderstorm and the lightning takes out the power. And this is one very stark shot of her in the doorway, the lightning behind her, holding the scissors coming down on Clint Eastwood. And that was it. I was, you know, 10 year old me is behind my hands on this, you know, thinking, oh my God, this is what women are really about. Oh God, please no, save me. Why is anyone ever married? Um, Dad, get out of the house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I think, you know, sort of people, watch horror movies for the same reason that they go on roller coasters you want to be scared in a controlled way and you want to be able to get to the end and walk away from it sometimes a movie like play misty with you does stick with you a lot of the times you can get to the end of it and just go that was one heck of a ride thank you very much um you know movies like event horizon movies like you know hellraiser two and three really really stuck with me and even some of the world cinema that's being done at the moment um uh, there's a spanish movie been out for a while now called the orphanage a fantastically unnerving movie which is very very strong um there was another one south korean movie called a tale of two sisters and I hold that up there as one of my favorite movies because it's got everything. It, it creates this sense of unease. You're not sure if the characters are mentally ill, if the house is haunted, all of the above. And obviously it's two very, very young girls, which, you know, then creates the whole sort of uh, prism of innocence and what have you. And there's now such strong storytelling and it's moving away from the tropes of sort of splatter gore and torture porn, which have never really appealed to me, and just focusing on a story. And you hear these things, the gentle knocking on the wall, the things that sort of you know made the first Exorcist movie uh, just so iconic that it wasn't about the big bangs and the jump scares. It was about the tiny little sounds that just made you go, oh, there's something there, but we've got to go and have a look. And that's what involved me with the uh, with the horror movies. Just that sense you can you can suspend disbelief and just go on one heck of a ride for ninety minutes. And you know, is there any sort of reason why you detest torture porn? I think because it shows you. 
and 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 that's that, that's the problem that I had. Yeah. So I I thought the first couple of Saw movies were okay. Um, I watched the Hostel. Um, I've recently just finished watching season six of American Horror Story. Five out of ten. I thought fifty percent of it was was padding. For me, one of the greatest horror stories is the first Alien movie. And I know that we can say, well, it's set on a spaceship and it's got aliens, so therefore it's science fiction. But no, that's actually, there's not much. It, it is. It, 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 it is because you, you've you've got this confined environment. It's a stalker slasher movie, perhaps in the vein of sort of you know Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, but with an alien as it you know mercilessly hunts down its prey throughout this ship. Um, and I've, I've I've just finished reading the uh, novelization of those uh, by Alan Dean Foster, and they're very very good at creating this this atmosphere. But the thing about that movie, and much uh, like Jaws as well, for 90 minutes, you see nothing. You see maybe a tail slithering into the darkness. You see the glint of a tooth, and you're like, I don't know what that is, but it's going to be really, really scary. The moment that the shark leaps out onto the boat, you're like, what the hell is that? You know, um, that's wooden polystyrene. When you see the alien, like, that's a dude in a latex suit. It kind of breaks the spell, but you've had so much fun getting up to that point. I think with torture porn, it shows you from the first scene, you know, rather than having the the camera pan away and just hearing the screams of no, no, no. It shows you very graphically what's happening. It shows you the ear being sliced off, you know, uh, like in in Reservoir Dogs. And I think Reservoir Dogs did a lot to kickstart the torture porn that we saw in the 2000s and into the teens. And it's really sort of, I'm like, well, what more can you show me? And it's now become almost like a cold war. We're like, right, okay, last time we uh, hacked the arms off, we've got to do the same again, but even more, even more shocks, even more scares. So we're going to hack the arms and the legs off. And then we're going to have this guy come on with a great big strap on and he's in a hockey mask. and, uh, And each time it has to get more and more shocking to try and get that same high. And by the end of it, you're like... No, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I was just going to say that uh, it's kind of a throwback, though, to the 70s with Italian sort of uh, cannibal films that were doing the rounds. You know, it, does it just come in waves and cycles of, of genres? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, we're, we're, we're still going through through the zombie cycle at the moment, you know, and, and, and that really began at the 60s, you know, and I've got to hold my hand up and say I'm bored by it. I'm really, really bored by all the zombie stuff that's coming out there. Um, as a monster, we've had the zombies done. Uh, we've had the slow zombies. We've had the fast zombies. We've even had the intelligent zombies. The zombie stories that we saw in the 60s, whilst very, very low budget, did actually make a social commentary on the nature of consumerism and capitalism and what have you today's zombie movies is still doing that they've not added anything to the conversation they've not added anything to the mythos about it and i'm just kind of like is this the best that we can do and obviously you know i understand that the entertainment industry is a business so they are going to go with what sells but we've reached a point of saturation honestly I gave up on The Walking Dead after one season and people tell me about it. I'm like, yep, fine, not interested because there's no plot. It's literally these people trying to survive. It's like an extended episode of Resident Evil 
they're not looking for a cure. They're not looking for a way to turn the world back. It's literally just now survival horror. And I'm like, uh, it's a road movie. Yeah. Except I mean, you're yeah. doing it over seven, over seven seasons now. And yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and if you want to watch a, a, a horror road movie, go and watch Duel. You know, that, that was written by Richard Matheson. Uh, I think it was directed, uh, I think it was Spielberg's first uh directorial debut um you know that got done and it's been done and i think you know if you're not aware of the history of horror when you see these things for the first time you're like yeah this is really really good people like me who have got a few more gray hairs we see this we're like no this is just like that and yeah. sometimes even even the dialogue is just a little bit too close I'm like how are you not getting sued for plagiarism dude yes <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but, but that but that's the way it is, and, and and we've we've been through this. You know, the horror market crashed spectacularly in the mid '90s because it was at saturation, and it was the same thing going on over and over again. Obviously, it's now uh, had a resurgence since sort of the uh, mid 2000s, but we'll see it happen again. That you know, it will go pop, and then it will come back. We just hope that you know, maybe this time some lessons can be learned. Well, I definitely thought it was on its last legs at the start of the noughties because that was the start of sort of the reboot and remake and re-sequel and prequel oh, God. bloody yeah. saga that we're actually still in. Which oh, we are. We are. I, 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 yeah. can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, a, We need fresh, fresh beats. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. And things like there, there, there is fresh stuff out there. But what's happened is that people who have the money to invest in a movie want to return and they've got to be guaranteed a return. Otherwise they're not going to invest in a movie. So again, somewhat controversially, do you remember um, what was the guy's name? Brandon Ruth. And he did, he, he played Superman in Superman returns. Did, oh, did I, you see that? I, I saw the movie, but I, I can't remember yeah. that chap's name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the guy who plays me, I think he's now playing Ant Man on uh, on um, in one of the comic book series at the moment. So that movie, I think it costs maybe sort of a hundred million, hundred and twenty million to make. It made seven hundred million, but that still wasn't enough for the investors to go back in and invest in a sequel. And I enjoyed that movie. I so thought it was even, awful. Was that with Kevin Spacey as really, Lex Luthor? That, that's, that's the one. That that's the one. I enjoyed absolutely it. Absolutely horrible. Get off the show right now. It wasn't perfect. But yeah, let's be honest. It was better than Superman 4. Uh, I haven't watched Superman 4, to be honest. Don't, okay. I have just saved 90 minutes of your life. Go and do something else with it. Never ever watched superman 4 yeah, uh, was just, that with richard um, Pryor? was that the third one no no, no that was number three oh, yeah, um that, so was, the, that was okay passable just about yeah um I, I i i quite enjoyed that one um but yeah no superman 4 is with uh nuclear man oh geez and it, yeah yeah just yeah no no on every level but you know superman returns was quite good fun i enjoyed it and it had a seven times return on investment but that still wasn't enough for the investors to go back in and go, this is a, a successful franchise and we're going to reinvest in it. Because now, you know, investors are now expecting a 15 times return or a 20, or a 20 times return on their investment. So this then puts the pressure on studios to put out a guaranteed seller. 
you know, we've just got to look at, you know, the horror of the Ghostbusters reboot. And I'm just kind of like, that just wasn't even necessary. Why? Just, uh, there was a no. sort of, there was an agenda with that, a social agenda, which, you know, no. this is a horror podcast, so I, we don't need to get into that yeah, discussion. But yeah, no, I, 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 they just, I understand. They woman washed the whole thing just for the sake of it. It was like, oh, look, women can do it too. And every man in the movie was just painted as an absolute fool. And it was like, this didn't need to be made. And the all female yeah, ghostbusters, that was just the thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, we, we, we see, you know, I mean, um, the, the Omen got remade scene for scene, line for line. And it's like, why? This hasn't added anything. Because <laughs> they could release it on the 6th of the 6th. 2006 yeah and i uh, saw it in the cinema but, that day when it came out that's the only reason i remember because it was such a you know 666 was the date yeah which is quite cool but yeah um carrie carrie has now been remade like four times and the evil and, is remade in the last three years as yeah well. yeah um I, I mean from from my memory i think it all started with uh day the earth to still the remake with um Keanu Reeves in it, which I actually quite enjoyed. I did enjoy that one, but that's but, yeah. But I'd never seen the original, neither because the original was exactly so. The original was like a 1950s, but you know, I know sort of you know, uh, friends of mine, their parents were just you know crossing their arms and huffing. It's like, well, we've seen this movie already, but that's what it's about, you know. Same in 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 writing, whatever genre you write in. Writing, I will always describe as a wonderful, soul-liberating experience. Everyone should do it. It's great. Publishing is a dirty, dirty commercial business. And there's only the smallest overlaps between those two. But that's the world that we live in. We live in the world of consumerism and where money matters. And it's applicable to the horror genre, to all the other genres. If people are going to invest in your product, they need to know that it's going to sell. So we talk about you know wanting to see, um, you know, some new types of horror coming out. It takes a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe we're going to see some sort of Slenderman movie or adaption coming out in the next few years because that's really taken off. Lovecraft continues to sort of bubble away. Could could be some stuff uh, going on with that. Um, I was reading a really good article about a movie based around the uh, myth of the Russian Sleep Project. Do you remember that one? Yeah, the creepy pasta. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. So yeah, may- maybe we'll see something coming out about that. Um, certainly, living you know in, in in the time that we are now, there's now so much independent stuff that comes out and decent quality. You can, you can go onto YouTube and find sort of you know a twenty minute short horror movie um there's a lot of very good science fiction that's being done with you know people who are using iphones and filters and then editing it on their uh on their computers and yeah don't get me wrong you know it's obviously not got a 50 million pound production budget on it but if you forgive that some of the stories are actually quite good but it does take digging to go and find this stuff it does, of course. And myself, over the last sort of two years now, have been reviewing horror shorts and short sci-fi. And the stuff that people are coming out with, the ideas, the stories, the production quality in kind of, you know, anything ranging from five to 20 minutes is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it I, is. I find it the is. best stories are coming from there. But I think, you know, if you tell, if you took those as sort of demo reels and someone picks them up and says, yes, we can make this a feature, 
write us up uh you know a feature script but you know it mightn't actually always make the transition maybe there isn't enough to pad it out because on the flip side i have watched independent feature length movies and they were absolutely terrible you could have squashed yeah. them down to 20 30 minutes and it would have served it a lot better I'll be honest with you, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I watched an independent movie it was a couple of weeks ago now, um, 400 Days. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not, not yet anyway. Uh, yeah, um, mm, five out of ten. It's, you know, um, again, it, it, it got p- picked up. Basically, it's four people who are in a space capsule on Earth and they are, for the purposes of a scientific experiment, seeing what it's like for four for four people to live together on a fictional journey to mars for the purposes of you know mapping out some you know psychological bits and pieces and the first half is really really very good and the second half just descends into some i don't know weird zombie outbreak survival horror movie like what the hell's this? Where, where yeah. did this come from? Um, and yeah, I, I, and that's a great example, you know, of you know when the movie loses its way. And very often you'll have very tight controls over script management and script development. With the independents, they tend to be a little bit more rushed, and that's that's a very sort of uh, broad brush. And not every independent movie is like that. There are some very very good ones, but this one in particular is like. Mm, this needed another year or two in development, but you see that with with books as well. You know, you 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 see some books that that come out, and it's just sort of like, this has been put out because they know it's going to appeal to this demographic coming off. You know, this peak in sales off this book, and therefore this book looks like this book, and we can sell this. And it's actually not a very good book. I know but that, that is it, definitely the problem with all types of media. You definitely see it—a rushed project that's there for a social phenomenon but the way things turn yeah. around these days with the age of the internet it's all yesterday's news so like what came out last year the angry birds movie that was three years too late i don't know yeah they tried with that yeah well i mean i years ago i i, I was uh I, I had a relationship with a company called quirkus who were a british publisher um, they they didn't publish my work, but uh, I I got to know those guys quite well. And the big big money spinner for this company was that they had the English language rights to the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. Yeah. Um. And and that was just raking it in for them. And they got a bit upset because over time the earnings from that was starting to go down. And it was only in their last year of operation that they secured permission from the guy's family to have another guy write a fourth book in the in the sequel in 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 the series. But it was like seven years too late. Yeah. And yeah, and, and unfortunately, you know, that was one of the things that that brought that company down. But we see this. We 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 see sort of you know particularly in the in the entertainment industry companies get too large they get too unwieldy and they can't make a decision quick enough and that's perhaps where the independents come through and fill that void and on that vein you know you said alien was one of your favorites but in the yeah. same universe and sort of a, another oh, prequel remake you said oh, that God, we're gonna prometheus that was oh, the worst film you've ever seen so let's, like a stab let's in my heart <laughs> 
stab in my heart. Okay, let's let's be honest. Okay, Prometheus was Prometheus was a visually beautiful movie. Yes, I agree with you on that. Okay, um, even the soundtrack was quite good, and I, I'm, I'm someone who's very into soundtracks. When I'm writing, I tend to write two soundtracks, but the story made absolutely no sense at all at all and i think the acid test is that obviously people came out the, the viewing public came out and panned this movie particularly for all the inconsistencies continuity errors and things just as flat out didn't make sense and the company involved with production created a fake wayland yutani website with sort of you know recovered files and dossiers and sensor readings what have you to try and explain all the plot holes in that movie and when you've got to go to that sort of length to try and retcon your movie it's just flat out a bad movie well i'm not going to no defend, i'm not going to defend the movie but i will defend ridley scott in a sense it, like his works in movies are notoriously you know chopped in the editing room like uh kingdom of heaven for example that had an extra yeah, yeah. 40 minutes now you know, Orlando Bloom wasn't exactly the macho lead that we needed for the <laughs> but, uh, but, like but that added so much more to the movie. There's, you know, five or six different versions of Blade Runner. Um, I'm sure Prometheus must have got chopped. And moving on to oh, his next project, Alien Covenant, had an original title See, of Alien Paradise Lost. Yeah. Which, See, you know, his, if anyone's read he, Milton's Paradise Lost he, and the subject matter there, much more profound um title then covenant i suppose is a but, bit more dilute well, I mean, well yes we'll, we'll see that there is a, there is a relationship between the two there These, the thing is as as much as i loathe prometheus and i do loathe prometheus um because my expectation of that movie was so high having been so in love with the alien universe and you know what i even quite like alien 4 as well and even though i know that's a terrible movie i still quite like it but i am still going to go and see uh, alien covenant 100%, i know i am because you you get oh, that uh yeah. you're hooked for life you're like please let the next um, one be good please and then you go I, watch it you're disappointed you're let I, down and you're gonna get it again you know <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you i I've, I've 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 made a promise myself and this is the promise that i i i do with music as well so there are bands that i religiously follow and i just get all their stuff in all the different varieties and formats and what have you. But if a band puts out a album that is manifestly a bad album, and I'm just like, what the hell's that? That's a pass. They get one pass and I will go and get the next album. But if that next album is then as bad or still pretty bad compared to their previous output, then I go nuts that's it um it happened with linkin park i was a massive linkin park fan really into the first three albums then they did some weird electro college thing which was light of the thousand suns and it was just what is this uh it wasn't a linkin park album and i went and bought the next album which i think was the hunting party something like that and again manifestly bad album and that was it i said nope that's it. And now I don't buy any Linkin Park stuff. I don't listen to their stuff on YouTube or whatever, because that's it. Two two strikes and you're gone. And I think it's for me, this isn't when we, when we talk about Alien Covenant, this isn't just about 
the franchise, I think it's going to be about Ridley Scott as well, because I'm one of those people. I didn't buy into the hype of Avatar. No, that was I, appalling. I could give that a four out of ten. But, but, <laughs> I hated it. But but Pocahontas but, but you, you, in 3D. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it was a very brave movie, but again, the storyline was poor. And I think so. You know, if I look back at the stuff that I've really, really got into over the course of my life, so I, I'm 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 very much into video games. The, my favorite video games they're not the video games that have got the best graphics not at all they're the video games with the most immersive gameplay and it's the same with movies you know if you've got a really really strong kick-ass script but you haven't got the greatest production value you know what you're forgiven and i'm going to get into this movie and i'm going to support it and i'm going to tell everyone about it but if you throw 300 million at cgi and you've got a bad script no i'm going to call you out for it because you know we're not idiots we're not idiots and i think there's a certain section of the entertainment industry who go they'll eat whatever we put in front of them well no no. (laughs) taking avatar as the example that you know broke all sorts of box office records but yeah absolutely zero (laughs) cultural significance i couldn't even tell you one quote from the movie I yeah. just know broadly what the story was, but I couldn't tell you one character's name. I couldn't tell you, you know, there was nothing stood out about that movie, yet it made so much money. It was just one of these yeah. rare kind of lightnings in a bottle for when it was released. And it's just crazy. Yeah. it's. I mean, I know what it was trying to do. It was, uh, you know, it, it was trying to offer social commentary um, about, it, it, it was an, ecological environmental disaster movie that's what it was was stretch no really the subtext wasn't really there he just wanted to have flashy visuals yeah well well, yeah you know but supposedly this movie was 30 years in development because he had to wait that long for the cgi to catch up with it i i think it would be interesting to actually sort of see a slightly different take on that movie because what we saw we saw human soldiers taking on drones for the purposes of infiltration and this was the early 2000s and now living in the age that we do live in where we see humans taking on drones for the purposes of war i think maybe that story could be retweaked it could perhaps have a much greater punch than it had first time around it'd have to be done in a completely different way i think so and i think he's planned avatar two three four but does anyone have any interest just go away just like fly to the bottom of the uh not fly but dive to the bottom of the ocean or whatever you like to do <laughs> don't make any more avatar movies I, I i i tell you what you can make it interesting make it interesting you you, you could go go back to that world but when the humans get into the drones let's have them being kicked out let's see the drones achieving some sort of consciousness or self-realization Hmm. That'd be interesting because you, you, you're then going to have three species in the mix. You're going to have the aliens and the humans who are at war. And then you're going to have like these childlike but fully formed drones. And I think that yeah, that is going to sort of uh, create some very interesting stories, particularly in an era that we live in where we're going after AI. It's, 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 it's really going to be sort of interesting to see 
is AI going to be awarded the same type of human rights that we all enjoy in the West? And I think you can do that with Avatar. It's being done at the moment with a series on Channel 4 called Humans, which is excellent. Everyone should go and watch that. Well, have you been watching Westworld? That's equally the same topic. I've 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 heard amazing things about it. If I'm, if I'm honest, I'm never too sure about Anthony Hopkins. Well, we can pause there, I, I, wait for you to watch the ten episodes, and then we'll come back. <laughs> no, it's absolutely yeah. It was, I've, I've 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 got Black Mirror lined up. I've got Westworld lined up, and I've got series two of The Leftovers lined up. That's a couple of years old now, and I really need to go and watch that. I I, I don't know if you've seen The Leftovers. I have not. There's too there's too much good TV. Like this year, I haven't watched much film, but I've watched so much TV because the caliber is just so good these days. I think yeah. a movie is just too big of an investment, and if you're sitting down in the evening, like ninety minutes plus is too much. Yeah, it it it, it is difficult, particularly if you've got kids. So it's like a couple of weeks ago, I had to just hand my girls over to my wife and say, "Right, I now need to go and watch Batman versus Superman," and I sat there for three hours. And watch Batman versus Superman. Well, you watched but the I extended could, um, version, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's here's the thing. Okay, make sure that you're sitting down. I really liked it. Uh, I really, really liked it. I I enjoyed it. There was a lot of haters <laughs> out there, but there, 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 there was. Now I've, I've got to I've got to get that there. I did not see the theatrical cut. I saw the extended super deluxe directors. Yeah, yeah. I actually went to the cinema. Yeah, whatever. It's a popcorn movie. It's like it's superheroes. Super- it is, but you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. The film has its flaws, mainly that it's three movies kind of crowbarred together and doesn't really know what it is. But I don't think it was deserving of all the criticism that it got got at the time. But you can flip that, and and uh, I watched Suicide Squad, probably my number two worst film of all time. Yeah, you because nothing that, in that movie. I would strongly disagree there, but uh, we might just take a quick little break. How does that sound? Go for it. Going back to gaming, what kind of games are you playing lately? Because uh, I myself, I'm playing Alien Isolation. Going back to Alien, survival horror I've, in I, the realest sense. I've uh, I've heard great things about that. Great things about that. Are you enjoying it? Uh, no, it is very fun. I recently just got a new television, so I'm just getting back into it. But uh, have, it's kind of you have, are on. I, I think you're on the. No, you're not on the original ship, but you're playing as. Ridley's daughter, so that's kind of a cool. Oh right, okay. So I think it's actually canon okay. in the Alien universe, but oh, oh, there's a xenomorph okay. on this cargo ship, and it's absolutely terrifying. Amongst other enemies like androids and actual survivors, it's, yeah, it's uh, quite good. You Very need to good. Fasten um, sort of petrol bombs and little things together to survive. It's absolutely fantastic. Excellent. So uh, really, I I I play three sorts of games. The first sort of game I play with my wife so having two young daughters it's it's difficult to get uh any quality date time so the first thing that that, that i play is a board game uh which is our saturday night board game once you put the kids to bed called settlers of Catan. and if people like games like civilization uh risk or monopoly this is the game to play i've heard great uh, in, things of that game i've been meaning it, to track it down it, myself it, it's it, it is a great game to play if you are into science fiction. They do a Star Trek flavor of it, um, which I don't have, but I've heard it's very very good. It can get quite competitive. 
And I think sort of because you have to trade with people and then you have to stitch them up. Um, and people are like, but I just did this deal with you and now you're winning. I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, I, I have heard people actually break up over this game. Um, so play with caution. Uh, just like Monopoly, um, I don't think I've ever finished a game of Monopoly. <laughs> yes, sort of, um, there's, there, there is a uh, a beloved family member uh, of mine who I I won't name her, but I'll, I get a, a photo sent to me on uh, Facebook or on my phone, and it's of the Monopoly board having been hurled across the room, and uh, she's stomped off stairs upstairs because she's landed on go to jail for like, the third time or something, and it's just not fair. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, we 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 shouldn't laugh at that because um, yeah, but I I really laugh at that because because it's, it's not happening to me, uh, so that makes it funny. Um, the, the, the second game I play, I, I probably play what we would consider now to be retro games. So I have an old PS2 that like still works and. The PS2 was the biggest selling games console ever, period. Jeez, what and are you considering really... retro? Like 15 years plus? Or how long? Well, what's funny is, I mean, that is now the uh, bracket for the PlayStation 2. You know, the. the, shut, the, up, the shut up, shut up. It's only 2003, what are you talking about? There you go, man. There you go. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, 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 PlayStation 1, I remember playing that at university. So that, that was 96 to 99. Um, and then the PlayStation 2 came out and it was great because all your PlayStation 1 games would still work on your PlayStation 2 and Sony if you're listening you really need to do this with 4.5 if you do if you release 4.5 with backward compatibility for your entire library I will go out and buy that at a Sony 4K TV right now isn't that out Please the, do it. I think it's out the Pro the PS4 Pro yeah but it, it, it hasn't got backward compatibility yeah I mean and you that's have what, to have that like people have huge libraries now especially for the exactly. digital games you need to have that backwards compatibility yeah, yeah absolutely but no so the PlayStation 2 I will still hold up so uh, I'm actually just looking at some of the games uh, that I've got here so I, I like some of the racing games but I like the race games a little bit of violence in them so things like Burnout Burnout 3 is a personal yeah, yeah I, I say, I, I'm looking at that right now right now I like some of the first person shooters but that have got a uh, a little bit more depth to them so things like so there was a Warhammer 50k game called Fire Warrior that was very good uh i've got kill zone here i've got some other ones but i am a big rpg kind of guy um so on my playstation 2 i've got things like destroy all humans tenchu dark chronicle onimusha red ninja haven devil may cry series i also like a little bit of uh flight simulation so there was Wings Over Normandy, and literally today I have just completed my Colony Wars collection. So if you've not played Colony Wars, this was a space flight simulator, like war simulator, um, that started on the PS1. And the third one was critically acclaimed, but then there was this massive mistake at the production factory, and I think only a couple of thousand of these things got printed or whatever, and I've managed to get hold of one. And so Colony Wars 3 is coming to me today. I'm like, yep, that's fantastic. I'm going to have to find a night to play that. So 
I really like those sort of games. And I guess, you know, like you say, you know, these are now retro games. Um, certainly, you know, I remember playing uh, Resident Evil 1 and 2 on my PlayStation. I think there was another one, was it, uh, Dead Aim, which was like uh, you could play with a laser gun. That was really good fun. I like that kind of stuff. Having just said that I don't like uh, zombies, but Resident Evil, yeah, that, 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 that was good. It was groundbreaking for its time. Um, but also I have a PlayStation 3 as well. So things like uh, Skyrim, Oblivion, Two Worlds 2, Amala the Reckoning, these big sort of open world sandboxy uh, sort of games I usually play as some sort of combination of wizard archer so I, I like to uh, enchant my um, with sort of like a d20 fireball launch it and then just run away really really fast and that's um, that's it so I, I, I like to, to sort of snipe and what have you uh, but those those sort of games I, I i play as well once in a while i'll dig out some of what i was this is definitely retro now um games for the pc so things like Baldur's gate uh vampire the masquerade i'm just looking at my collection here i've got never winter's night never winter's night was a massive landmark did you ever play never winter's night no i i started my life on the nintendo 64 and the game boy i'm a little bit younger right. than you <laughs> outrageous talk outrageous talk you you can actually get the neverwinter's night diamond edition for like i think probably about two or three euro now on download and the gameplay is good but it's fixed classes but there is you know something ridiculous like you know 15 different classes that you can fight as through this game and it's a long game fully it's it's more story heavy than it is sort of combat heavy but the thing about this game and it, again this was landmark at the time and it's still very very good it had a tool set engine that came built into it so you could create your own campaigns and then invite your friends into it i mean literally you could write an entire quest you didn't need code at all they would have all these sort of uh self-building wizards and you could create weapons you know vast arrays of weapons everything into it yeah, yeah. Sounds and groundbreaking enough for the time doesn't it, it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess we're talking early 2000s here, maybe sort of 2001, 2002. And there are still forums and there are still servers. I mean, this this is a Windows 98 slash XP game. It will still run on your Windows 10 machines. And there are still forums, there are still servers that people host, you know, new modules because these are things that are incredibly easy to build, incredibly easy to go to an insane level of customization and the way you do it. And I think the characters go up to level 80 and you can specify the characters in this, what equipment you give them, what equipment they can come in with. And if perhaps you're a little bit old and you've got a few silver heads and you remember sort of like the role-playing books of the 70s and 80s, Death Trap Dungeon and those kind of staples where you, you you would roll the dice and have you, you see this now transformed into a game in its purest form. It's an absolute joy to play and you get you know some science fiction versions of it and you get some very very good um horror versions of it you know people bound to play through sort of dungeons and mines and what have you and the amount that you could do with shadows just literally having shadows and little flecks of light coming out thinking oh there's something down there but you're surrounded by your squad of like eight or ten people really sort of you know like world of warcraft before world of warcraft was there because you can build your own missions and you just literally go down and suddenly you'll have that big clay golems coming down at you, orcs coming in from the side, and you've just got this massive sort of, you know, try and 
fight your way out of it. And people write some amazing modules that definitely recommend it. So it's like going back in time now tonight to the retro days. Yeah, there's 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 a lot to be said for the retro days. I'm just looking at my uh, at my uh, shelf here. You know, I've, I've got you know things like you know, uh, Manhunt is uh, up there. I, I I had an Xbox as well. Yeah, you got Jade Empire and Morrowind, Fable. These are great games. Great, great games. Everyone should you know if you're into the RPG scene, um, and you like a bit of fantasy, like a little bit of horror, definitely play these games. No, it's kind of going the same way as the movie industry where they need a big return. So it's either going to oh. be a sequel or a massive franchise. Like how many Halos yeah. is there now? It's been going for 15 oh, years. The, but the, but the, you, know, you, you see the investment that goes into a video game today. It is on par with a Hollywood top flight movie. They can spend £300 million making a video game. Sure, it's crazy. Destiny was, it, um, I think, 500 million it was the most expensive video game ever but granted yeah. half of that was on marketing but exactly you know, exactly it, it came but yeah, out and it was yeah. a bit of a people like got you know lukewarm but apparently yeah it's gotten quite good now with all the updates yeah well, well i mean you we, we, we were talking earlier on about what the indie scene could do for you and you do see indie games coming out and sometimes they get it just spot on and it really really works and then you see where it goes really really wrong so uh i was one of those suckers who bought no man's sky i was just gonna say just like no man's sky <laughs> are they gonna redeem it with that founders update though uh, you'd wonder that just came out they 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 they, they can take it and they can shove it with a sun don't shine that entire game was it wasn't a cop-out it was a con i'm gonna say that because we were promised so many features and, and the those features um gameplay and everything like, yeah it was a complete lie yeah. yeah yeah and i i was an idiot and i stuck with it till the end and the ending is just it doesn't even make sense you've you've got to travel to the center of the galaxy and when you do the whole game starts again because there's a galaxy within the center of the galaxy, within the center of the galaxy. And you're like, that's not a story. I, I, I that, saw that, that ending. I, like, I can't, like, I wasn't going to get it for PC, and it, I don't have a PS4. And yeah. I looked it up. I was like, oh, what is that, the center of the galaxy? And spoiler alert, it's already been spoiled. It's, <laughs> but yeah. It, it, like, there's, don't, there's, don't get the game at all. Just don't bother. That's the yeah. ending. It's a... Yeah, a world within a world, and that's the end of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it just doesn't. And it was just, you know, there, there was no payoff there. There, there was no redemption there at all. And it was basically just level grinding for the sake of level grinding. It's like I, I, I tried playing Dark Souls, and I have rage quit Dark Souls two so many times. And then an online friend of mine talks me into having another go at it. Did you end up finishing it's, it? It is. No, no. Honestly, I I get to Martin, maybe get level two and level get three. Get back in the saddle. And no, no, no. You are not, not, not. No, 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 no. I finished Dark Souls uh, one, two, and I, three. I, I absolutely I, love I, it. Can't get enough. No, of the honestly, I, I I now have some sort of PSD over Dark Souls two because where'd you get stuck? It's just oh, right at the beginning, right at the beginning. Um, so I I think sort of I I clear the first boss. Um, the guy in the cave um, and I get like the soldier ring or something and then I go through to the city which has got sort of like the big bridges and what have you and then I get killed 
and I, I don't get killed just a little bit i just get killed a little bit more and i'm like i'm a real masochist for this kind of stuff so i'm like you know i'll do this four or five times i'm like man this is bs this is you know the, the whole point of that game is to is to the developer can torture the players that's why that game was made as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. and i'll be saying okay. i go I was just going to say, for yeah, those of you listening I, I, who don't know what Dark Souls is, it's a game that punishes you repeatedly for just dying, 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 yeah, dying. It's yeah, really, you have to learn from your mistakes because every time you die, it's nothing out to the game fucking up. Excuse my French. It's because you weren't good enough. That's the whole premise of the game. So you, you got to get good is the kind of meme going around. And, and when you die, your character gets permanently powered down. And powered down, and powered down. So the game actually gets harder the worse you do, and that, is that Dark makes it worse. Actually, really I, punishes death. Too it, much. It, it does, it does. And literally, I got to the end of this second level, died like fifty times, and every time I die, I'm like, right, that's it. I'm not going to play this anymore. Okay, just one more time. No, nope, that's it. No, no, I'm dead again. Oh, I'm not going to play it. Okay, one more time, one more time, one more time. Here I go, here I go. I'm nearly there, nearly there. I'm dead. Oh, mother. And then when you do so it, I've though, never... you feel absolutely amazing and you've conquered the world. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, the, the kind of reward I, I, of just I, overcoming I, the insurmountable challenge is why I absolutely love that franchise. Yeah, it is. I don't know, man. I I just kind of got to it. And it's just level grinding. You have to just keep doing level over and over and over again to power up No, do you ever see character. those guys that do the speed runs at like level one and stuff? Yeah, either they've 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 there's there's some sort of cheat there. They're, they're using some some sort of divine power. I don't believe a word of it because, <laughs> yeah, I it's magic is I mean, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you'll have gathered from this. You know, I like video games, but I'm not the best player. And I think the the only way that Dark Souls could rub your face in it anymore is to take like one of the closing credits from Mortal Kombat where it just goes, you lose, you suck. And it's just sort of like, yeah, that's exactly what Dark Souls is. It's just, you know, grind your face in it. You take the Mortal Kombat tagline, you suck. Yes, I know, and I'm dead again, and now I'm not playing anymore. It's official. You suck. Actually, how cheeky was it? Because the first game's uh, special edition was uh, Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition. That's just really in your yeah. face. That says it all about the game there. Yeah. Yeah, but, but 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 that that is exactly the game. You know, it's an RPG game. It does use an element of level scaling with it, so it doesn't actually matter how Superman you turn your character into. The character is going to scale with that, and it is just a game where you just have to get used to dying a lot and like a lot, a lot. And this isn't you know, you'll go along for ten minutes and die. No, you'll be dying about a rate of once every thirty seconds. And you know, you get permanently powered down every time that you die. And I was like, man, no, not doing this anymore. Yeah, no, it's not really um a casual player's game, you could say. No. No, you 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 need to like send the family away on a sun drenched holiday for a long weekend and you're just gonna sit there and try and do it. And a couple of hours later you'll be just a gibbering wreck, just you know, chewing your fingernails down to the bone because that game will do that to you. Just you need to uh, strap on the sweatband and <laughs> the tiger on repeat and just montage it's... that motherfucker. <laughs> Training montage, yeah, exactly. What it's just, le- just grind and level up in the. That's all you need to do. No, uh, no, I, 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 I just couldn't do it. 
I just couldn't do it in the end. I, I don't know how many hours I dropped into that game, but I tell you what I am looking forward to, and that is the new Mass Effect uh, series. Andromeda. Uh, yeah. And, and do you, did you play the, the, the first Mass Effect? Uh, honestly, I haven't, because I missed kind of the first one, and I was like, ah, oh, the investment, getting into it. I must, it's, it's something I have totally, to go back to. But totally I worth it. Skip totally totally worth it um i i got the trilogy not that long ago maybe a year or two ago and the replay factor on it is immense so it's not that you can just replay as different character classes you can replay as a good guy and a bad guy but there's also then a load of alternate endings so when you make a decision in 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 game one it will affect the outcome of game three yeah so there was only like three colored lights and i don't think any decision really mattered in the end but uh, i think there was an update was there there was there was an update um what happened there's this massive outcry from uh, the community and they listened quite hard to it and i think it's maybe three or six months later they released this massive update which completely rewrote uh, all the all the three main endings plus all the little biogs at the end i think it's ridiculous it was like something like three or four gigabyte dlc download for free but uh yeah they they did make a mistake with the original endings on that in a couple of ways it wasn't just the three different color lights but there was no end boss either um still never fixed that but i don't know the new mass effect i'm looking at the youtube trailers for it i'm like yeah i'm gonna have some of that action yeah i was i was actually quite enjoying the teasers when they're coming but i know there was gameplay release but i was like ah probably not gonna get it not gonna waste my time at this stage since i missed the last three i yeah i I don't know man i'm like you know i'm 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 coming up hard on 40 and i'm you know deep down i'm still a child i'm like oh yeah gotta play that let's let's go bug hunting and shoot stuff aren't we all god's children <laughs> in the end no, that's absolutely very good. well martin i'd say that's nearly a good place to wrap up we've been chatting for a little while there now uh where can we reach you online and where can we purchase those lovely books of yours so those those lovely books you can uh, purchase on Amazon if you like a novel start with a gathering of twine if you like a short story start with the testament the last testament of Thomas Griffith you can find me online uh, I am on Facebook at spirals of danu i'm on twitter at spirals of danu and i also have a wonderful website where people can sign up for exclusive goodies which is www.spiralsofdanu.com martin thank you very much for coming on the show you're an absolute gentleman and a great guest thank you very much that's very kind of uh, you i i hope that we can talk again sometime and i look the, forward to it shit, as they say <laughs> excellent stuff Great stuff, Martin. Thank you very much for coming on and talk again soon. Take care yourself. Bye. And that was my conversation with Martin Adel Smith. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording. It was great fun. We actually stayed on a little bit longer after uh, shooting the breeze a little bit longer into the night. Since this is going to be the last episode before Christmas, I'd just like to take the opportunity to wish everyone a very happy and merry holiday season with you and your loved ones. There will be a sneaky episode just before Christmas with the mystery first guest who never got aired 
Mr. David Chaudoir will have a sneaky giveaway post-Christmas pre-New Year's for everyone, so stay tuned for that. And a lot more episodes already done and dusted to get us into the new year. So that's all very exciting. Thank you very much to everyone for listening so far. If you want to check out and all the post show and see what I'm up to, you can check me out on Twitter at The Fear Merchant. You can check out the website, thefearmerchant.com. And if you have any feedback and you don't want to put that in the review, you can email at thefearmerchant at gmail.com. If you're listening on iTunes, which I hope you are, give us an old review. If you hate the show, please don't give a review. Just uh, pass that on and it'll all be good. So, until next time, eat, drink, and be merry, and I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye. Come back at any time.